a one, a two, a three. That's good. Is that good? Have you thought of voice acting? Nope. Because the voice you just did is kind of like an aristocratic, um, I think he turns out to be the bad guy, but at the beginning of the film, he's like pretty friendly and like gets along with the protagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is like, you know, oh, I'm super helpful. I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. But plot twist, you're the bad guy. The, yeah. the frozen switcheroo. Got it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> so happy to have you in my house. I sure hope I don't kill you. Welcome to episode 364 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing, man? Uh, It has hit me suddenly that I am now in the last home stretch of living in Colorado. We've been here since the end of May. Yeah. And we're leaving at the end of September. Okay. And it's starting to hit like... Oh, this is the last time we will do this thing this summer. Like, um, we took a drive up to the mountains today, and the, the leaves are turning, and it was really beautiful out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. shit, summer's ending, which means we're about to leave. I don't know, it's kind of bittersweet. We're excited to get back to San Francisco, mm-hmm. but it's been a really good summer. Anyways, I don't know. Things are fine, but I guess there's some feels floating around, if you will. <laughs> sure. uh, how about you? Yeah, good. I don't know. I had a long weekend uh, last weekend, which meant that I had a short week before it and a short week after it. So, Dude, that's the best. Yeah. The best part of a three-day weekend is the following, or I guess if it's a Monday, uh, the following four-day week. Because mm-hmm. you show up Tuesday, you're like, ah, basically done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the, the best is the, the four-day weekend that straddles Friday and Monday. You know? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Four-day week, mm. four-day weekend, four-day week. I can do that. That's a good 12 days. Yeah, that's great. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Before we get started, a huge shout out to Float. Listen, everyone is working remote and Float has been a lifeline for teams that are working remotely in 2020. It lets you keep track of who's working on what, lets you plan your team's time from anywhere. Float gives you an accurate view of your team's availability and capacity, allowing you to set custom work days and hours and schedule status to let your team know where you're going to be working from. If you're working remotely, you need to learn more at float.com slash design details. We're also supported this week by Hover. Hover is where you need to get your domain name. They have over 300 domain name extensions to choose from so that when you're building your online brand, uh, you have unlimited options. So I highly recommend the .design TLD if you're in the market. If that sounds interesting, head to hover.com slash design details and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. I'm throwing in some plosives for Marshall. Yeah, so many plosives. I'm going to have to edit all that (laughs) shit out, man. Purchase some powerful packaging for your podcast. Perfect problem you've created here, Brian. Uh, We also have some new very important pixels this week, too, specifically. Oh, spotlight here. Uh, huge shout out to Walter Camaro. And our second VIP this week is all one word, Ray Bazaar. Like Ray Bazaar. Ray Bazaar together. Mm-hmm. The B is capitalized. And and weird bazaar, not like marketplace bazaar. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I got stuck on that for a second. <laughs> 
Thanks, everybody. This week, we are sponsored once again by Webflow. Webflow is the perfect tool for prototyping and user testing your designs. You're actually able to embed interactive details in your designs like hover animations, responsive layout changes, and anything else that a real website would actually have. Webflow lets you create standards-compliant HTML, CSS, and JavaScript with familiar visual tools, which means that when you're working with your developers, you can actually hand off something better than just a static mock. You can start building fully responsive, interactive websites today. You can even use real data and structured content, providing for a more accurate user research session and more realistic flows, like actually giving your, your users a real website to play with. And when you're done prototyping, you can actually just turn your prototype into clean, production-ready code. You can hand it off to a developer if you need for implementation, or you can just publish it right to your domain. It's pretty amazing. If you want to learn more, go to designdetails.fm slash webflow to get started. If you sign up for an annual account from there, you're also going to save 10%. But you should just head to their website, learn more, uh, and get started prototyping with Webflow. Thank you, Webflow. Thanks, Webflow. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you every month uh, chip in a little bit to help us pay for our subscriptions, our software, and to make the show possible. And in return, we record a little bonus segment in every episode. It's called The Sidebar. sidebar, sidebar. And if you want access to that, it's like a, it's like an extra cool things or a design topic or, or a story from one of our work experiences. Uh, this week, we talked about the effectiveness of those paginated onboarding screens. You know you've seen them before. Anyways, if you want to hear about that and hear all of our past and future sidebar segments, go to patreon.com slash design details and you can support us for just a dollar a month. It really means a lot. Uh, that all adds up. And uh, we love to make sure that there's people hearing these sidebar segments. That's at patreon.com slash design details. Cool. Okay, Marshall, tiny bit of follow-up this week. So last week, in in last week's sidebar, speaking of which, Mm -hmm. you explained your work journaling process. And while we were recording that, I was like, oh, that sounds so nice. I should definitely try that. I should do that. Well, I did. I tried it, and I did it. Uh It was a four-day week last week, so I only did it, you know, four days. And so my follow-up is this. My, here was my flow. I would, I would wake up and like kind of first thing in the morning, I, I look at my calendar, I look at my to-do list, and then I start checking emails and Slack and all that kind of stuff. I just added one extra step, which was to look at all my meetings and just sort of create a bullet list of all my upcoming meetings. Mm-hmm. I had the, the outline primed uh-huh. to take my notes. Yep. And then after the meeting, if I had a break, I would just jot down a paragraph. I did what you did. I bolded names. I don't know if you do that, but I bolded names and I bolded decisions, which... Honestly, I didn't have that many, which tells me like, huh, some of these meetings were more casual or, or social. Yeah. Um, yep. That's it's a great way to track like, yeah, oh, there's not a whole lot of decisions being made in this recurring meeting. Like, yeah, yeah. maybe I can miss it if I really have to miss something. Uh-huh, but yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I bold the word decision and I bold the entire line of the action item. Yeah, I did that as well. So I bolded decision. Actually, I only bolded the words action item, but that's help, helpful to see. And then I bolded names just so I can kind of scan a little bit easier. So after last week's sidebar, Kyle Mitchell messaged me and said, hey, it was hard to visualize what I was describing. Could you share a scrubbed version of of your daily journal? So I have done that. I I made a fake version of my my journal. I included all of the the month colors and an example straw person of what that might look like. So 
I will put that in the notes, so we'll check the show notes for that. Cool. Well, anyways, good practice. I'm going to keep it up next week. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy you like it, man. I'm happy you've started. I, for me, it's just a way to cement the outcome. Like by writing it and recapping it, I'm forced to synthesize, oh, what just happened? Like actually exactly. think about it because otherwise reflecting on the previous week, it's it's easy to go through meetings. It's just like going through the motions. You just do the meeting, you go to another meeting, you go to another meeting and you kind of like blend them together in mm-hmm. your mental history. <laughs> yeah. This is why it's so important to do it contemporaneously. Like like you said, right at the, after the meeting is over just or while the meeting is going on, I'm usually, this is where I, I take notes. So again, it helps me remember not only writing it down, but also having it later to refer to. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's get into the main topic this week. So Priscilla then asks us on a GitHub issue, how should settings be used properly? Priscilla says, I'm building a very complicated web app and have a few questions. Uh, And they are enumerated, so we'll read them all first and then we'll go through one by one and and do our best to answer. So 1A, what is the difference between settings, configuration, and system? And would it be appropriate to have all three? 1B, how should settings be used? Number two, should settings be displayed visually apart from the rest of first-level navigation options, like how Shopify does it? For example, putting all things in the left sidebar from the top, but settings is sort of distanced at the bottom of the sidebar. And number three, what do you think of companies that have multiple tiered settings, like Zoom? Do you think that they executed it well? Would love to hear your thoughts and any by listeners. All right. It's also cool to see Luke Seeley jumped in and, and left a comment on these this issue, so... Maybe that's just a little note. These issues have a comment box. If anyone wants to sort of troll through here and join the conversation, that'd be cool. Yeah, give your own opinion. All right, Marshall, shall we do our best to answer these? I, I kind of want to say up front that I've actually, I've designed like individual settings, but I can't say that I've ever designed settings from scratch. Uh, actually, that's not true. I guess Spectrum, we designed from scratch, but I don't know. This is a big area. I'll do my best here. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever shipped settings that I've designed, but I've redesigned settings before and like sure. I've used a lot of settings. I, I consider <laughs> myself a, a setting stan as it were. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm kind of a settings connoisseur, if you will. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here, here, let's go back to question one. So what's the difference between settings, configuration, and system? Would it be appropriate to have all three? I would even add like preferences in there. These mm. are all kind of mm-hmm. synonyms with one another. Depending on the developer, I would expect, I don't know about systems so much, but I would expect settings, configuration, and preferences to all be the same thing. If I saw them all next to each other, I would not know what was inside each of those things. Would you? Uh, Config is not a word that I would use for what is trying to be accomplished here. I feel like settings is probably the most standardized. Yep. Agree with you about system, agree about preferences possibly working here. Preferences is what's on Mac OS, right? System like, preferences. But it's settings on iOS. Yeah, yeah. That's that's even weird. But yeah, yeah. configuration, I would nix from this list. I think it's because I've been messed up by developer tools and like working at GitHub, but configuration is almost always referring to like a file that refers to like the the behavior or, or script of yeah. some tool within. So like you'd yeah. have a config.yaml file for... Exactly. Config dot. Yeah, yeah, config yeah. dot. So anyways, I, I would opt for settings, I suppose, feels closest to me. Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends on the platform, right? I think uh, on Android, I would say settings everywhere. I would use preferences on Mac OS because like if you go to the name of the app menu in the top left, it's always preferences dot preferences. dot dot. So yeah, I would do yeah. preferences on Mac 
settings on iOS. But yeah, it's weird. That's a great point. Okay. Uh, so let's jump into 1B. How should settings be used? And I thought this was the most interesting question of them all. Like, so here's, well, I, I'm not sure what this means. So the, the question is, how should quote unquote settings be used? So does that mean how should you use the word settings or how should you implement settings exactly? You know. Well, I think the second part of that is the more interesting thing to talk about. Like sure, how, yeah, yeah. how do you make good settings screens or understandable checkboxes, all this shit? Um, mm-hmm. So we took some notes. Here's one thing that I, I've struggled with is settings can very, very quickly become a dumping ground for all of the places in your product where you lack an opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, there's these two things. We think they're both cool. We want to try them. Let's just make it a settings and then the user can choose. And I think mm-hmm. it all depends. <laughs> Sometimes that is the right thing to do. Light mode or dark mode, let's let the user decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some things... I think reflect a lack of opinion and you are deferring the work of choosing what is best onto the user. And the user now has to spend their time trying to figure out what's most optimal. Sensible defaults, Brian, sensible defaults. Yeah, sensible defaults are always preferred here. I think, so So for that reason, I would recommend when creating settings to be as conservative as possible. Create as few settings as you can or hold out on creating settings as long as possible. Use some sort of product opinion or taste to override the need for a setting when appropriate. Mm-hmm. And there's so many benefits for doing this. Like settings are inevitable. You're going to have them as products evolve. You're going to have to keep adding them. Mm-hmm. But the longer you can put that off and, and the more streamlined you can keep your settings, the more simple your product is. It reduces the amount of maintenance that you have to do. It reduces the amount of code that has to be written. It also just simplifies the way that you actually design things, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Marshall, but I find myself quite frequently having designed something. And then I remember, oh, there's a setting that makes this behave in a different way. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, one of your engineers you work, you work with is like, ah, yeah, yeah, there's a setting that actually conflicts with your designs. I'm yeah, like, shit. Dependencies, yeah. And, and, and the more of those that exist just the harder it is to design and build products. So anything you would add there? Like when you're thinking of creating new settings, is there like a a mental checklist you go through to decide whether it needs to be a setting first? I don't, maybe not a checklist per se, but there are definitely things that automatically qualify as like, okay, this probably needs to be a setting, right? Like, like an opt out, something that needs to allow users to opt out or opt in. That's going to be a setting. Personally, I really like settings. I'm like kind of a nerd about settings, like I said earlier, and I spend a lot of time in them. And I I prefer when I have more control. And you know, every time a new version of OS is released, I always go into settings and poke around in there and see what's new. But that's not normal. That's not what a normal user does. So yeah, I, I always try to just keep it as streamlined as possible. And you know, I'm just repeating everything you said, but yeah, it just it feels far more opinionated and certain as an app when there isn't a setting for a thing. Like, no, this is how we want it. And this is how we're going to give it to you. And if you want to change it, like maybe use a different app, but like this is how it works with us. I remember there was like a tipping point for me in iOS. I can't remember which version it was. It might've been eight or something like that where they mm-hmm. added the search field to the settings screen. Mm-hmm. And that was this moment 
you had the first iPhone, right? Yeah. Yeah. The first iPhone, there was no settings. It was like 10 things. It was just so, so few things that you could get through it in a matter of seconds. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting. This is a little side uh, side topic. Um, yeah. One of my metrics for how busy settings is getting on iOS is how far down general gets pushed. It's almost <laughs> off the bottom of the screen uh-huh, now. Uh-huh. Like general used to be the top thing, or maybe it was Wi-Fi or airplane mode or something, but it was like number two or three. And now it's almost past the fold, depending on what size. And I have like a, a max size phone. I bet it's mm-hmm. I bet it's off mm-hmm. the fold on smaller phones already. Yeah. And it didn't used to be that way. And nope. it has progressively every single iOS version. There's a new new row here. Mm-hmm. And eventually they added search. And it was about that same time that, you know, talking with people who don't obsess over settings, perhaps like you. People didn't realize that there was some really amazing functionality on their phone, mm-hmm. but they just had to dig around enough to enable. And I think that sucks because there's a lot of really cool stuff hidden in settings if you just take the time to poke around. But this has kind of been one of your gripes, I think, in a past episode is the average person isn't that curious. Like they download the app to do the thing, but they're not curious enough to sort of get into the weeds and mm-hmm. the thick of it. And you're more of a, a curious kind of person. You download it and immediately want to see how you can extend it or break it or, or tweak it or modify it, right? Well, it's not even necessarily curiosity. I think that's part of it. But it's also fear, right? Like people are scared to touch things that they're not sure what's going to happen when they mm-hmm. tap it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And settings are are that, right? Yeah. But yeah, iOS settings have gotten insane. And I don't know how you can avoid it because there's just a lot of stuff here. You know, from developing this platform for over a decade, but hopefully individual apps don't ever end up like you don't have to make these decisions. You can keep this a lot more simple. So something that I've noticed is uh, on Android settings is they use illustration and even animation to let you know exactly what the thing you've chosen is going to do. So, for example, if you go to system gestures and then system navigation at the top, there's a fully animated little uh-huh. GIF thing that yeah. shows you, depending on which thing you've chosen, exactly what the behavior of your new system navigation mm. is going to mm-hmm. be. This mm-hmm. isn't for everything, and it shouldn't be for everything. It's a little overboard. But for stuff like this, that you know, there's like five lines of descriptive text under the thing to just describe like exactly what it does. Picture's worth a thousand words, and animation's worth a thousand pictures. So... This is a great way to communicate to users if the thing that they're changing is just hard to grok. Yeah, I have some examples, uh, other examples of this, but that's a really good one to point out, like at the systems level. I think that's really nice. And I don't know that iOS does this in many places. Um, Maybe they do with, it like, for banners, like notifications. They'll show like mm, what the different mm-hmm. banner what behavior like? is. Yeah. yeah, if it stays in the screen or if it goes away or, you know. Okay, we'll talk about some more examples here in a second, but let's move on to the second question, which was, do you think settings should be displayed visually apart from the rest of the top-level navigation? Yeah, usually it is, right? That's And I feel that's how it is. You made a really good point when we were talking before this. Do you want to repeat that? Yeah, I was just thinking that if your settings sits at the same hierarchy as your top-level navigation, that says something about how you think your users engage with your app. Mm-hmm. And if you decide that people are spending enough time in settings to warrant it being at the top level alongside your core functionality, one, that's a red flag to me, but also it's like, what are you putting in settings? <laughs> that it's that important for people to spend a lot of time there. I think generally settings 
I don't know, something you change once a month or like there's like that that there's that phrase that set it and forget it. It's almost yeah, like set is yeah. part of settings. Hey. Yeah, it just feels like people aren't going to be using it as much or as frequently, so it doesn't deserve the same prominence in your app's hierarchy than your core functions. So I would say, yeah, set it apart. I think it just feels like there's so much existing design language that you can lean on top of that makes this really obvious to users. Like if you have a sidebar-oriented navigation, put it at the bottom of the sidebar. If you have a top horizontal bar navigation, put it in the top right, usually behind like a user profile drop-down type thing. That's just a super common thing. Wherever Facebook puts it, just put it there, which is in the top right. <laughs> just make it a drop-down. Like everyone will find it there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so glyphs, do you think, I mean, gear, obviously, I've seen, uh, especially for preferences, like the like two sliding knobs. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like yeah. that. That should be filters. That's filters. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like that's more like a filters thing. I've also seen uh, like two toggle switches, one off, one on, stacked top and bottom. Uh, are you talking about Control Center on Mac OS Big Sur? Uh, oh, yeah, I guess they do use that. <laughs> I, I was thinking of uh, Things, actually. I think Things uses that. Uh, maybe they, they, maybe they have a gear. Uses a gear. They, oh, use, they a gear. use a gear. Okay, never mind. It's just looking at that one. Uh, okay, so well, now we're, that we're talking about things, things doesn't present settings in a new screen. It does. It's not a child page or even a uh, like a full screen modal. It's a dialogue that it has a scrim behind it, you know, covering the the background and which is weird. This is a very strange yeah. decision, by the way. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Also, they've done a lot of extra work. The reason this is bizarre is because usually your settings has a back stack, right? You have you have navigation. You go down to a child, back up to the parent. That doesn't work very well in dialogues because edge swipe doesn't work in dialogues. It's inset from the edge of the screen. But things, you know, cultured code has manually implemented an edge swipe that works with their custom dialogue thing. So unless you're willing to go to that level of uh, obsession to to make it work, I would stay away from dialogues or modals in general for settings. There is one area, this is an example I wanted to call out, where a modal is interesting. I was playing around with the Slack preferences on macOS, and they do this interesting thing because their preferences are a dialogue, and there's a scrim behind it. But as soon as you go to the theme preferences, they actually turn off the scrim. And then as you're changing your theme preferences, you can see mm. it modifying the UI behind the dialogue, mm -hmm. which is interesting. It's one way to do this. I compared it to uh, Discord, where Discord has like a little module at the top of their appearance settings. It shows you preview messages. And as you toggle settings it adjusts those preview messages yeah same thing with tweetbot yeah, the yeah example tweet at the top that changes as you tweak stuff so that's cool but that would certainly impact the way you want to lay this out like if there's if there's ways you can show how the setting will affect an interface or affect the way you use it and you can actually have it sitting alongside that that's awesome right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that way it's not totally disconnected on a separate screen context yep speaking of context we didn't have this in the notes, but it's something I thought about, which is um, potentially deep linking to settings, but then letting them know, hey, you can always change this in settings later. But like surfacing some of those things without forcing people to dig. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. What you As you were talking, you reminded me of like prompts to change settings when the application thinks that a setting would benefit you from right. changing it. So exactly. I, a good one is like notifications, right? Like if you mm -hmm. go to notifications, an app should be able to know if you're receiving a lot or a little. And if mm -hmm. you're receiving a lot, it's very likely that there's preferences that you could enable 
that would turn that down. I think Twitter does this. Like when you go to the notifications tab, if you have like 20 plus notifications, it'll show a little tooltip to the gear icon in the top right and say like, hey, want to see less notifications? You can like filter down what you see based on who's following you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that would be like a more contextual kind of prompt. Same thing with iOS notifications, right? If you're getting too many of them, it'll say, do you want to keep getting these or deliver them quietly? Or, <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. in place, right? And then once you change it, they say like, hey, you can always get back to this later, da, 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 right? Love it. All right, let's answer this last question. Do you think, what do you think of companies that have multiple tiered settings like Zoom? Do you think they've executed it well? Uh, we looked at Zoom settings and I think it, it just felt fine to me, but I think what Priscilla meant by tiered is like it's grouped, like it's categorized. Mm. I could be mistaking that, but this feels appropriate. Like of all of your settings, try to group them so that you don't just overwhelm people with one massive list separated by like section headings or something. If you can group <laughs> them, I think everyone's kind of rallying around like a sidebar with uh, a main view because that mm-hmm. translates well to mobile. Mm-hmm. As you pointed out before this, like list detail. But if you can group things appropriately, it's going to help people navigate it more easily, predict where they're going to find stuff, feel like they have more control over the application. So I think Zoom is fine. I think Zoom makes some interesting decisions about what should be a setting versus not. Like, for example, you have to go to settings to change your background you have in your video, which is so bizarre. Like, unless I'm missing something very obvious in the interface, you should be able to change your background from the call screen, from yep. the meeting screen. Uh, but Zoom puts themes and backgrounds in settings, which is bizarre. So anyways, I could be wrong about that or, or like wrong that there's another entry point. But I would say otherwise their grouping seems fine. There's usually like a general settings, which is like mm-hmm. there's all the shit that we don't really know. It's kind of the dumb <laughs> thing. <doesn't>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think maybe another thing to talk about here is like the the number of levels in the hierarchy of your settings. So like you mentioned, list detail, that's that's typical. You have general and notifications and privacy and all those things at the top level and then stuff when you go down inside there. And then each section within that child page has like a header to delineate between things, potentially dividers between them. So it's obvious what things apply to others. And if settings impact other settings there's a whole conversation to have about settings impacting other settings and whether you disable those or hide Uh those and blah blah Uh blah. it's a whole other conversation to have but once you tap on one of those things in that second in that child page how many how many levels past that should you be allowed to go like you know you don't want to bury things too deep down in settings because not only is it more likely that the user won't know that that thing even exists if they do know it exists it's just hard to get to here's another thing Escape hatches for settings. Well, now that we're talking about like deep navigation, if I go into your settings and I have to change a setting that's like four levels deep, and then I have to back out four more levels to get back up to settings to get back to using the rest of the app, like you should give me a, an escape hatch, an X or a done or something, so that at any given point, regardless of where I am in that back stack, I can get out. Mm. Interesting. Does anyone do this well? Well, I mean, Things does that, right? So like. You know, it, granted, it's a dialogue, but there's always a done at the top right. Yeah, that's nice. It just sucks to have to go real deep. And like, I want to change one thing. It just happens to be really deep. And I got to tap like 10 times to change this one thing that sucks. Like, yeah, give me a way out when I'm done. I agree. I just want to add on to your point about overwhelming people. This is like settings overload. But for me, I'm kind of tapping around on my phone and the privacy settings is emblematic of settings overload. Like if you go to iOS privacy settings, Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a list of one, two. 
1819 entry points into sub privacy sections. Mm -hmm. So let's say I want to change location services. I tap on location services. Now there's like two more entry points at the top. And then I have a setting for every single fucking app. Like Mm -hmm. there's way better ways to design this. Like this should be grouped in some way. There should be like, which apps have always, which apps have none, which apps have wall using. Like there's just so much, Mm. there's better ways to do this. I think right now it's alphabetical, which, you know, I don't know. I guess that's kind of predictable, but well, it might not be the intent behind what someone's trying to do here. Anyways, my, my point being, that's just one of these like 19 or 20, if I miscounted, entry points on the privacy screen. And, like mm-hmm. All of these have multiple sub-levels, and this just feeds back into like, this is intimidating. People are worried they're going to make a mistake. For sure. And also people just don't have the patience to go through and tap all these things. Well, here's the interesting thing too. It's like, th- this didn't exist, right? This privacy setting thing didn't exist, or, or at least the way it's grouped this way. It used to be that if you wanted to change any app's settings, you had to go into the app settings at the top level, like scroll down the list past general and all that stuff to get to the app settings and then change it per app. Recently, I don't know when they did it, but like, you know, in, in, in recent versions of iOS, they've bundled all those things together so you can change all of the camera permissions for every single app, but just grouped by camera permissions and see all those rather than having to yes, go in, out, in, out. Yes, that's true. That's right? true. This is nice, yeah. But but it is it does add complexity because I'm changing the same setting from two different directions and potentially more if I can change it from within the app too, right? So Right, right, right. Anyways. Okay. Good stuff to think about. I, I didn't know we could have so much fun talking about settings for this long, uh, <laughs> but I hope that was helpful. Priscilla, if anyone else has notes on designing great setting screens or experiences, uh, we'll have a link to this issue in the show notes, so go drop a comment, and if anything is interesting there, we'll have it in follow-up next week. Sweet. All right, Marshall, cool things. Let's do it. My cool thing this week is, have you heard of poolside.fm? I think you've even shared it on this before, yeah. I did a search. I couldn't remember if we shared that, but I'm pretty sure we talked about it. Um, it was the website, though, I think. The website, poolside.fm, is a masterpiece of a website. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's it's everything you could want in a website mm-hmm. and more. Like mm-hmm. it's gotten better since we last shared it. Okay. Anyways, my cool thing is they came out with an iOS app and the iOS app is equally delightful <laughs> and fun and creative and interesting. It's awesome. Everyone should download it. Um, the music is, you know, to your taste. Maybe it's not for you. It's always kind of like 80s. 70s sounding music i actually don't know what their criteria is but it's all powered by soundcloud so there's Mm. some variety on here but my oh my this interface is it's just fun it's different i've never seen anything like this before on an iphone so that's my cool thing play around that's a poolside.fm this is buck wild dude the dithering Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh Amazing. Uh-huh. I feel like I am wearing like rose-colored sunglasses or something looking at this. Amazing. Yeah. My, my phone smells like sunscreen when I open this app <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> All right. That's my cool thing, Marshall. Cool thing. All right. Uh, I'm going to reshare something I've already shared as well, but it's an update. Uh, we did not plan this. It just happened. But uh, Copilot. So I've mentioned Copilot on the show. A uh, buddy of mine makes the app. He's got a real small team. It's an app for managing your finances. It's like Mint, but way better. Uh, And since the last time I shared it, there's been a ton of improvements. So I'll give you a real quick rundown. Uh, First off, there's been improvements to recurring transactions. This is one of my favorite parts of the app is you can mark transactions as recurring and they they automatically get applied to your budgets that you've set up. So it knows I pay for Netflix every month. And when I pay for Netflix, 
uh, it's through like the Apple App Store or whatever. So it all just shows up as Apple iTunes. What's really nice is now I can say, okay, I know that it's always eleven ninety nine on the fourteenth, and when that happens, it'll look for those types of transactions and automatically mark that as Netflix as opposed to ambiguous naming. And in addition to having monthly recurrings, you can have yearly recurrings, which is a big one for me. Like not all of my things that I pay for, I pay for every month. So now it understands that some things are yearly. There's rollover on your budgets now. So if you don't spend the full amount this month, next month, you'll get the remainder added to that budget, which is really nice. You, there's a way more account types you can add, including uh, Venmo, which I think they just added. So every time you make a Venmo transaction, it's kind of a pain in the ass to set up. You have to like forward things to their address or whatever. But uh, once you get it set up, you'll see all of your Venmo transactions in Copilot. Anyways, I love it. I use it so much. It's got a place. It's one of the 16 apps on my home screen that is in the dock. Like that's a big, that's a big thing. It's one of my top wow. 16. So mm-hmm. if you would like to set up for it, you can use my code and it helps me out a little bit. Brian, you can share your code if people want to use yours as well. But uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We don't need a competition here about whose code is more popular. That's fine. But I don't care. Um, okay. So the, the code is Bravo 7 November Golf. 7 Alpha. I use the military language there, Brian. Wow, it sounded really cool. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's my cool well, thing. Fun. Let's get out of here. All right. Uh, let's get out of here. This has been episode 364 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. This was supported by Webflow. Webflow is the perfect tool for prototyping and user testing your designs. They make really great standards compliant HTML, CSS, JavaScript, interactive websites. You don't even need a developer. It has great visual tools so that you can make whatever comes to your mind. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash webflow to get started. If you sign up for an annual account, you'll get 10% off. Otherwise, just go poke around. This is a really cool tool, and it's going to be great for prototyping your next project. So thank you, Webflow. If you want to support the show directly, you can go to patreon.com slash design details. Every week, you get access to a bonus segment in the episode called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. (laughs) If you want complete episodes of the show, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details and supporting us for just a buck a month. We appreciate it. Thank you, this week's supporters. And of course, if you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers. Just, just like, like you. You he said it so slow. Otherwise, be tweeting at us at Design Details FM. We love to hear from you. Uh, and we'll be looking at your tweets until next week. See ya. All right. Goodbye. Use the military language there, Brian. Like, Can we just hey, sidebar this really quick? My favorite thing to do when I'm on a call with like someone on customer support and they're like, uh, sorry, could you spell your last name for me? Uh-huh. I love to just see what kinds of words I can come up with. Uh-huh. L is for lasagna. Uh-huh. O for Oscar. Like maybe I'll get that one right. Uh-huh. V is in very, I don't know, you just like, Try and come up with shit on the spot, mm-hmm. and sometimes it works. Fia's in verisimilitude. Uh, it, 
if you can make the other person laugh, like bonus mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I as an I. 